we also prize the internal giggle. You know what I mean? So we laugh constantly and we just try to make each other laugh. And then we figure if we think this is funny, hopefully others will. Hey, Bomb Squad, you're listening to Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm your host, Carrie Diamond. We're coming to you live from Newsstand Studios in Rockefeller Center in the heart of New York City. We're going to be talking food and fashion today because our guest is Rachel Antonoff, the fashion designer known for her whimsical and feminist take on fashion. Rachel will be here in just a minute to tell us how she became a fashion designer, why food is such an inspiration to her, and how she recharges her creative batteries. Today's show is supported by our friends at Free People. There is a great Free People shop right around the corner from where we record at Rock Center, if you happen to be around here. I've been a fan of Free People's clothing for a while, and I love their vibe. The Cherry Bomb team seems to be living in their Free People overalls this summer. Anyway, Cherry Bomb is doing a fun collab with Free People right now called the Summer Supper Club. We've got videos and recipes from food stylist Mariana Velasquez and chef Tara Thomas, two women I love and admire so much. Mariana and Tara bring style to everything they do, including this project. You can watch their videos on Free People's YouTube channel and find their recipes on Cherry Bomb or at freepeople.com backslash vegan lifestyle. Got that? If you love plant-based eating or are looking for some new dishes to try, you'll love these recipes. It's been fun working with the Free People people, so definitely check it out. Some quick housekeeping. Don't miss the latest issue of Cherry Bomb. It is all about the icon Julia Child. Speaking of style, Julia has miles of style in and out of the kitchen. You can subscribe over at cherrybomb.com or pick up a copy at your favorite bookstore or cookbook shop. Now, here's today's show. Rachel Antonoff, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you so much for having me. So let's jump right into this. I made a list of... They're not the clothing names, but they're kind of the clothing names. So mm-hmm. when you go on, and I hope all of you do this later, go on rachelansonoff.com and you look at the clothes, there'll be a little like description underneath the photo. So I'm just going to throw these mm-hmm. words out at you and you're going to tell me the what and the why. Okay. Okay. Fun. Filthy martini. Oh, yeah. So that was this oversized olive print. And we were just like, what does olives make us think of? And Whenever I order a martini, I always say very dry, very cold, and positively filthy to the uh, embarrassment of whoever I'm dining with. And so, yeah, it was just one of the first names we thought of. And everything in the office is kind of done. We want to make others happy, but we also prize the internal giggle. You know what I mean? So we laugh constantly and we just try to make each other laugh. And then we figure if we think this is funny, hopefully others will. Oh my God. It's not going to get better than we prize the internal giggle. We should probably just stop the show right here. Could you repeat your martini order? Because that was so funny. Yeah. I think it's very dry, very cold and positively filthy. (laughs) And do they usually get it right? They do. Sometimes I ask for extra like brine juice on the side, but usually it's quite perfect. I I really love like a frosty martini. Any cold drink right now, actually. Next up, Rainbow Far. Go. Okay. So we did this farfalle print. I don't even, the seasons all blend together at this point, but you know, a few seasons ago and people really liked it. And so we were like, how do we update this? And then, you know, those beautiful packages of like rainbow pasta. Yes. We were just like, we should do that. So that. 
farfalle, for those of you, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you know this, but it's the bow tie shape. Yes. Which was my favorite as a kid and Ugh, remains a too. favorite. It holds cheese if you're doing a mac and cheese so beautifully. It's like a real chef's kiss. Or a pesto. Yes. Yeah. It's Everything. Just, it's things like to cling to it. Yes, totally. It's like a good friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, it next supports. one. This was a cherry bomb favorite. Pawn print. Pawn print? Yeah. Oh, no, wait. I oh, did it wrong. Print? <laughs> I was like, oh, God, what is that? I don't know one the of our prawn prints. Prawn print. I had a typo, people. I'm sorry. <laughs> prawn print. This is a kind of like RA classic. One of our favorite things to do in a print is to have the thing you initially see. So big prawns, exciting, yay. But then have sort of like a hidden element. I don't know if it comes from like long, you know, periods as a child spent in like pediatrician's waiting rooms where it's like you, what was that magazine where you have to find the hidden? Yes. So there's like a highlights element to most of our prints. And this one has um, an engagement ring, kind of like once every four prawns that, you know, we imagined someone like hurled into the ocean and it's, I think it's sort of like hanging off one of the prawns. I never noticed Mm -hmm. that. But I didn't know about the little engagement ring. Yeah. That's so cute. I'll show you after. I'll send you a screenshot. It's the kind of thing that you could have owned the skirt for years and maybe not noticed until you were like super bored on the subway. Oh my gosh. You managed to make prawns look sexy. Thank how, you. I don't know how, but you did it. That is so nice. Well, Charlotte Minette is the artist who painted those prawns and who paints a lot of our prints. And she she can make any um, mildly disturbing thing look sexy, which gross. Call HR, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Loria's matcha cookies. Oh, yes. So glad you said that. Well, Loria is Loria Stern. We are huge fans. I mean, her Instagram is one of the ones that whenever I'm scrolling at night in bed, I wake my dog with like my audible gasps from whatever gorgeous things she's posted. And we just thought, God, this would look great on a dress. And so we asked her, you know, can we use this image of your, it's like, her cookies that are still in the dough sheet and they've been cut or, you know, like stenciled out, but they haven't, the excess dough hasn't been removed yet. And then there's a gorgeous edible flower on each cookie. And so she let us use it for a print. And it's really one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I love the, I'm not sure, is it sort of crocheted around the neckline? Yeah, there's crochet and then there's like a daisy trim. And one of my favorite things about it is that I think if anyone even thought about it, which I'm not sure they did, but it probably seems like we just took this print that was, we did a the vanilla version as well, um, and then maybe recolored it green. But that's actually the color of her matcha cookies, which I think is so yeah, cool. If folks don't know Loria, you have to look at her Instagram account. Yes. She really is an artist. Truly an yeah. artist. And it all tastes great, yeah, which I feel like is rare. Such beautiful work. Our holiday issue is going to be the world's most beautiful baked goods. Oh, my God. And we're definitely including her. I mean, oh, that's exciting. Her body of work is so incredible. Incredible. I, I feel like there's a list of people I want to send you now, too. Okay. You'll have to make a, random accounts. Well, you know what we can do? You can, we can commission you to write a story. Oh, my God. I'd be really honored. Rachel's most beautiful baked goods. I really would be honored. All right. I have a few more things on my list. Okay. Sliced bread. Mm, yes. I don't remember the origin of this, like why we were talking about toast or sandwiches, but we were, you know, all of our, all of our prints are food inspired. It's just kind of like what we talk about in the office and what we're all, I guess, thinking about most of the time. So yeah, toast with various toppings. And that came in, there's a top, there are multiple pieces. There's like a tote bag and a dress. And that one also has the highlights element, which is there's a fly stuck in one of the toasts. 
<laughs> I miss that too. And you did a collab mm-hmm. with one of our cover girls, Paola Velez. Yes. God, she's cool. She's very cool. Yes. Yeah. She did a really great video for us um, making panna cotta toast that was, and she wore the toast dress. So it was just delightful. How did that whole thing come about? Well, since so much of the Spring 21 collection was food-themed, even though so much of many of them are food-themed, that whole collection was actually inspired by women throughout the history of food. Um, And we wanted to have chefs do, you know, little cooking tutorials while wearing a piece of our clothes. And so we actually do have a few more coming out. But uh, Paolo was our first, and yeah, we were really psyched. Oh, I can't wait. We were so excited when we saw that. We were like, oh, it's Paola, our yeah. favorite person oh my God. in Rachel's clothes. Okay, next one, schmear sweater. Oh, yeah. It's a biggie for us. So we we got into the, you know, the world of intarsia sweaters, which we found we had kind of started doing that before the pandemic, but it turns out, you know, people really wanted like, funny, weird statement pieces that would, I guess, show up in a Zoom meeting. So like a sweater with a huge bagel on it was apparently what the doctor ordered. Two follow-up questions. <laughs> I've seen that word in Tarja before, but mm-hmm. I never knew what that meant. Oh yeah. So annoying of me to just like toss no, no, out. That's a, okay. We don't, we don't often I know have, what it means. We don't often have fashion designers on the show. So. Okay. I, I mean, what intarsia means to me and whoever is listening to this, who actually has a degree in fashion, maybe will be laughing, but it's like knitted into the sweater. It's not like, um, it's not printed on top and it's not. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like a part of the That's super clear. Sweater. And a schmear. What is a schmear for those who don't know or don't live in New York? Exactly. A schmear is, well, for me growing up, a schmear was anything that you could, I think schmear was a verb. Like you schmear something on something else. So I think usually it's, it's like a spread. I think I think of it as both the noun and the verb, but I always think cream cheese. Me too. Yeah. I think that's my go-to schmear, but I, I think my grandmother might think like, like literally chopped liver. Right. right. On, a, on a Ritz cracker. So it's a bagel. Is it a specific <laughs> kind of bagel? Is it an everything bagel or is it a I think plain we bagel? did. Oh God. Now I can't remember. I think we did plain. Okay. I'm very excited about a sweater we have coming out soon-ish and it's a rainbow cookie in Tarja. And I thought of it because we actually have little, um, like brown sequins representing the sprinkles. Oh, that's fun. What is your classic bagel order? Oh, everything bagel with cream cheese. Everything bagel with cream cheese. Okay, no locks? Not really. I'll, I'll totally have them if they're around. But if I'm ordering, I just want, or you know, sesame with cream cheese also though. Okay, toasted? Depends. Ooh. Depends on the place. Okay. If it's like, just come trust, out of what you don't trust people to toast it properly. Or, well, I feel like some bagels are so amazing that toasting them almost like doesn't give them their fair shot of okay. you know being their okay. best selves. And then toasting a bagel though is a surefire way to make any bagel taste a little better. Okay. So if it's not a great bagel, definitely toast. So if you didn't know we're recording the show in New York and people here have very strong opinions yeah. about about things like bagels. Okay, this next one is an important one, but it is not one of your food items. Mm-hmm. It is Randy's Reproductive System Sweater. Oh, yeah. This is one of our old standby classics. And, you know, a really long time ago, we we drew a, a female reproductive system and we thought, hmm, that would be cool on a T-shirt. And shockingly enough at the time, maybe naively so, it was not meant to be political. We actually, it was a part of a season 
that I think the theme was science fair. Oh no. Whatever. It was it was something about like human anatomy. Mm-hmm. And so it fit into the theme of that season's collection. And then it sort of grew legs of its own, you know, if you will. And people took it really politically, which we're absolutely fine to lean into that because we have very strong opinions there. So now a percentage of sales of those sweaters and t-shirts, we bet we donate to Planned Parenthood. It's an amazing sweater. It literally is a uterus Mm -hmm. on your sweater. And it does surprise me to hear you say that you didn't do that as a political Mm -hmm. statement. That was my assumption. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, you know, we've always lived in politically charged times, of course. But that was when Obama was president and things were, not everything felt so intensely charged. Mm -hmm. And so we naively thought, oh, we can do a body part on a sweater. But one of my favorite things about it not but, rather, and, is people, friends will call me all the time to tell me their reactions that they got from men when they were wearing the T-shirt or the sweater. And And it's often people think it's a ram's head. Um, People think it's like a Taurus thing, which I guess ram's head. And then whenever men find out, typically they get very uncomfortable and it's amusing. I mean, that's not the reason why I'm happy that you did that sweater and the subsequent T-shirt and everything that it's on now. I think a sweatshirt, yeah. a T-shirt, a sweater. You know, a lot of people don't know what their uteruses look like. Bravo to you for doing that. Thanks. My yeah. gynecologist has it, which was maybe my proudest moment. Is Randy your gynecologist? It actually was my friend's gynecologist, and that's who we named it after at the time. How does Randy feel having a uterus sweater? I actually don't know. Them? I don't think Randy knows. Oh, really? Yeah, and I've sort of lost <laughs> touch with that friend. So we really should change it to the uh, Dr. Christina Matera sweater. Who's <laughs> the best. That's pretty funny. All right, we're going to go into some traditional okay. questions now. So you are a fashion mm-hmm. designer. How did you become a fashion designer? You know, in a really side door kind of surprise to myself kind of way. I intended to be a writer. And I was freelance writing. I was writing mostly about bands. and But I always loved clothes. Just growing up, clothes were such a sort of um, escape for me. I remember I, a lot of my memories of childhood are of like mind-numbing, soul-crushing boredom. And a lot of those memories take place at Temple. <laughs> so, um, you know, no offense to synagogue. It's a wonderful place. But I remember staring at my shoes a lot in synagogue as a child and just wanting to wear tap shoes so I could maybe like practice a little routine. And I always found that dressing up was sort of this like element of transformation. You know, you could just be somebody else. You could be transported to another place. And so for me, that's what fashion was always about. And I, I basically, God, this is like 15 plus years ago. I had a roommate and we both loved dressing up And we sort of had this combined closet of all of our, like, we would just buy crazy vintage dresses and chop them off. And we would, we would get dressed up just to like go for a walk around the block or go get a drink. And we were constantly talking about clothes we wished that we had. So like, God, a dress like this would be so cute, but with a print like that and pockets like this. And I truly don't remember what possessed us to attempt to actually do it. I think just like the naivete of youth. And I don't know, but we did. We had my neighbor from New Jersey who was a seamstress. We had her sew up three samples for us. And then we like hawked them around town, just like cold emailed 
editors and, you know, said we, we, we photographed them on ourselves, like morons. It was really, there's so many things we did that when I look back on, I have like a full body cringe, but also my heart softens for those sweet young girls. And we just, you know, we, we got into some stores and never looked back. And this was pre-social media. This was pre-social media. I remember, I mean, it was right at the beginning of MySpace, I think, because we made a MySpace profile. And I remember someone, whatever you like, messaging us on there. And I was like, oh my God, people are seeing it. So yeah, but it was before, you know, real social media. Not to say it wasn't a real business because, you know, you made samples, you mm -hmm. took them around, you got them into stores. When did fashion become a real business for you? So that line I had with my friend for a few years. And we really, we did well, but we didn't know what we were doing. And so, you know, for example, our first, I think we had an order for 16 units and we sold them to the store for $100. That was like our wholesale price. But our cost of goods was one twenty-five, And we, I remember us being like, oh my God, I can't believe we only have to pay $25 a garment to be in a real store. So, you know, margins were not a thing. Oh my gosh, I'm laughing because maybe it was a year or two ago, we had these two women from Connecticut who are hilarious. They had a business, I think, called the Granola Girls. They made the world's most amazing granola. And they were like, cost of goods, 100%. <laughs> so you can make something that's amazing. You just can't necessarily make money from it. Oh, exactly. And we, you know, we we did just, we sourced our fabric in Midtown and it didn't occur to us to check how many yards of this do you have? Do you have stock in this? So then finally, when we got into Barney's, which was like a huge, major, exciting career moment, Barney's ordered like, I don't know, 200 units of this one dress. And we went back to Mood Fabrics and they were like, yeah, we're a retail store. Like you shouldn't be shopping here. <laughs> so we, I learned on the job in a really intense, like crash course kind of way. And the long winded answer to your question is, I don't think it was until a year or two into Rachel Antonoff that things were in order in an appropriate way, as mm -hmm. far as like, this is the margin that we try to hit. And, you know, even like our wholesale is more than our cost, which was an exciting turn. Mm -hmm. Wow. Did you have to go fundraise? Did you have to hire a lot of people? How did you do all of that? You know, we had really minimal overhead at first. We were our own models. We had my neighbor sew the stuff. And we were both really, really lucky to have family support. But we pretty much didn't do anything until we had store orders. So we, you know, there was no e-commerce then. It was like a wholesale model only. So basically, if Barney's placed an order... We did need to borrow some money to get it made, but then we we knew that money was coming in. You know, up until very recently, I was pretty much our accounts receivable person. So I'm like sitting there writing the checks thinking, holy shit, I know I made the decision to hire this person or do this thing, but like now that I'm writing it, it's wow. Yeah, it's funny because you're in this position where you're like, we're not broke, but we're kind of broke. <laughs> yeah. Like in a few months, we're not going to be broke, but right now we're broke. And yes, it's exactly. Just this dance. And like yes. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed how not broke we are. Like it would have been amazing. <laughs> so today you are direct to consumer, right? Do you, yes. do you have wholesale accounts? We do still have wholesale, but we've okay. really shifted the focus of the business to direct to consumer, which was in large part during and because of the pandemic. What else did you have to change about your business? Well, something of the pandemic. 
one thing that we had been talking about for years that always felt fiscally responsible, but wildly unappealing to me was this idea of instead of new, 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 how do we try to repurpose the existing? I don't even want to say old because it's just existing. And so, you know, we have this incredible library of patterns, which are costly. You know, we pay a lot of money to have these patterns made. And it's, as a designer, it's fun to start from scratch and just want to do completely new stuff that looks nothing like the old stuff. But as a person trying not to contribute to like the rapid end of our planet slash trying to be a fiscally responsible business owner, you know, if we augment patterns or do the same dress in a completely different print, to most people that feels super new. And to a lot of people, I'm learning this about myself as a shopper as well, you find something that fits you well, you kind of want to have it in any different color or print available. Mm -hmm. So that is what we started doing because the pandemic started, we had no idea what was going to happen to us as a business. And we knew that we are absolutely not going to be developing new styles. Um, Even if it weren't financially responsible, we wouldn't have been able to fit them and go see the pattern maker. And, you know, we were just working from our homes. So we, the only new things that we could do were prints. And we really leaned into our, what we call conversation prints, which I think, I'm not sure where that started, but I I think it just means any print that is, can start a conversation. I love that. (laughs) Me too. People who are in the food world listening to this know the food world has gone through some incredible changes over the past few years, but fashion, I mean, you mentioned Barney's was one of your first outlets, you know, for those of you listening, you know, that was like the department store everybody wanted to be in, you know, in New York, that's gone. Yeah. Now, you know, so much is e-commerce and, um, you know, you've got all these resale sites now, mm-hmm. you know, I love the real, real, I Me use too. that a lot. So I was just curious for you as a designer, where is everything headed and how do you feel about all these changes? I think for the most part, they're really great. I think that one thing I've picked up on is feels like sort of a conversation happening is instead of buying inexpensive sort of disposable clothing, saving your money and investing in pieces that you, you know, will hopefully have for a long time to come. I know we have, um, we have a good amount of price resistance on Instagram. We get a lot of comments like, you know, pretty, pretty aggressive, abrasive, like how dare you? You must be laughing all the way to the bank. And it's like, let me assure you, we're crying on the way home from the bank. We're right. not laughing all the way to the bank. And you could easily do like hashtag Gucci, hashtag right. something else, places that charge 10 times what you charge. Well, unfortunately, and I think, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have known this, but it's really expensive to pay fair wages. So we have factories making our stuff. The the samples and the pieces that they're sewing first had to be, you know, you pay for the fabric. Like when you, when you break it down, you sort of come to realize that if you're paying $9 for a tank top, I don't know what kind of conditions it was made in. And I understand, I, I wouldn't necessarily always be able to afford our clothes Mm -hmm. as well, but you know, I can sleep at night knowing that we have vetted our factories. We've met the people who work there and it's, you know, it's a, it's a good situation. Yeah. When you look back at the young burgeoning designer that you are, you know, with your roommate, you know, having the neighbor sew up clothes, how do you feel about the personal growth you've experienced? That's such a good question. Cause I never really 
look back and think about that. I'm so caught up in the, you know, just the to-do list of every day. And I think it's so cool. I think it's really amazing. When, when we started doing this, I remember my dad said to me, this is going to distract from your writing. And he was absolutely right, but did it ever and in the best way. And I think that that is such an interesting lesson that like, I feel like we're all sort of journalists of our lives and you got to sniff out the lead and it's not always what you thought it was going to be. So if you feel like you've got a sense of something and there's a direction that you, you know, is maybe a little left field, like I explored that and it really became something, something that I absolutely never intended on doing and was not trained to do. I love that you throw out a little journalistic lingo there. The lead for those listening is the first paragraph. Mm. So I love that. Oh, the first paragraph of your life. That's a really nice Yeah, you got to find the story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> well, another thing they say in journalism is don't bury the lead. Do you right. know that term? Yes. Yeah. So true. And I feel like a conversation print really drives that home. It is not <laughs> burying the lead. It absolutely does. Rachel, you are so creative and so many of us just adore you for your creativity. Thank you. How do you recharge? You know, I need a lot of recharging. Um, I have learned that I'm an actual introvert. Not, you know, I think people really like to like toss these words around now. And I've learned that being an introvert doesn't mean that you like to be alone. It means that that's just how you need to recharge. Whereas some people recharge by, you know, being around others. So I spend a lot of time alone. I have like a special chair that my friends and family tease me about. And I like, I sit in my chair at night and I have snacks and watch my stories and do my work. Watch your stories. What does that mean? God, I love television. You do? Yes, I love television. What are you watching right now? Okay, right now. Well, at night, I fall asleep to Gilmore Girls pretty much every night for the past forever. It's just a thing. And then what I'm actually watching, I'm watching Physical with Rose Byrne. Really good. I started The White Lotus. I just finished season two of Never Have I Ever. It's phenomenal. If anyone out there is on the fence, like... I'm a fully grown adult. Yes, I know it's a high school show. It's great. Okay. Seriously. I'm taking notes. You come from a very creative family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. How did your parents instill creativity in you? They are just like nonstop balls of creativity, like fiery, crazy, out of control, creative beings. So most of my early memories were, I mean, they they both love culture. My dad is a musician. Um but the creativity isn't, it's not um, in the arts kind of a way. It's like in this silly, silliness was a huge thing in my home. So like practical jokes were rampant. Um, just, uh, they are people, my parents are tickled by a lot of things and it's really inspiring. Yeah. If folks want a little glimpse to how fun your parents seem to be, your latest lookbook. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about it? Oh, yes. And tell folks what a lookbook is, just in case people don't know what that is. So a lookbook is the collection of images from any new collection. And called a lookbook, and my phone consistently autocorrects it to cookbook, which I feel like is apropos. But my parents, one thing you can say about them is that they are down for whatever, to the degree that I'm like, you guys, it's okay to say no. But I, you know, we shot this most recent lookbook during the pandemic, and We, the four of us, me, my brother, and my parents, um, we were a pod and we took it quite seriously. So I was like, you know, we're not going to be 
working with models and hiring outside people. So it was us. And my brother's partner is a photographer. And um, so she photographed me and my parents and my brother in the lookbook in our childhood house. And it just... It's amazing. It was really fun and actually the most difficult talent I've ever worked with. (laughs) Could (laughs) not get them to focus. What was in those riders? Oh, my God. If only there had been riders, I would have (laughs) submitted one. But But your parents really went for it. I saw that and I was like, I don't know that my parents would have gone to those lengths to support me. The same way Rachel's parents did her. They're incredible. And they, they are just really excited about what we're both doing. They like... When Jack is on the road, they kind of live on tour with him. It's really nice. Yeah. Let's talk about food. Yes. Because food obviously is such a source of creativity for Mm -hmm. you, as we established earlier in the show. What was the food situation growing up? The food situation growing up, so is Jersey in the 90s. So, you know, what you were saying earlier really kind of rang true for me, that we weren't, it was like Chinese every Sunday, and then we'd go to the Golden Palace every Sunday, and next door was a Dairy Queen. And so for me, Chinese food and soft serve is basically peanut butter and jelly. Like I cannot imagine or conceive of one without the other. But while we weren't adventurous with food, food was fun. So I have this memory. I think we must have just been like out of groceries. But I have this memory of my mom saying, let's pretend we're French and eat bread and cheese. And in hindsight, I'm sure that's because that's all we had at the moment. But she made it an adventure. And like, God, Benihana was just really, I mean, for us, that was like the culinary peak or Sizzler. Yeah, for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. We went to Sizzler all the time. And that salad bar, I just remember thinking, you know, feeling sort of like a little ratatouille, like the mouse, not the food. You know, wow, you can combine (laughs) this and that, make a whole new taste flavor. And it was, food was just always fun. Treats were fun. We were all very much like sort of treat trained. Yeah. What was Halloween like in your house? God, so fun. Yeah. It's not that we... Costumes were kind of whatever. That was fun. But what I really remember is the end of the night, my brother and I sitting on the floor, dumping out our candy, and then doing elaborate treaty-level trades. I'll give you like three of these and one of those and a bathroom. I'll clean your bathroom if you give me that. (laughs) And this was before things were safe. So like a neighbor might give you a homemade brownie or, you know, like a candy apple and (laughs) That would never happen now. Who cooked at home? My mom cooked. Mm -hmm. My dad did not cook. Trying to think. We went out a lot. Yeah. We, you know, we had a a sick sibling. We had Mm -hmm. a younger sister who had a brain tumor and it took up a lot of the focus in the household. Yeah. Um, And so I think, yeah, God, thinking back, this actually really must have played into my feelings about food. Because whenever, if she had, if she was undergoing chemo or, you know, my mom had to be with her at an appointment, there were so many neighbors and family friends who were always dropping off something hot in a tray. And I think, I think I learned to associate like, oh, this will cheer you up. This is what comfort is. And luckily that didn't, you know, take me all the way into some kind of disordered eating. Mm -hmm. But just, you know, food has power. Yeah. Was she the youngest? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How did your parents recover from that? I mean, your describing of them, you know, you mm-hmm. sound like such an optimistic, warm family. Yeah. I mean, they did and they didn't. Mm-hmm. I think it fractures people forever. Um, but they are really optimistic 
And they're both always sort of just in search of the bright side and the positive. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of really introspective. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but my dad is like literally leaving to try ayahuasca this weekend. And so he is like, he is looking into things, Mm -hmm. which I find very impressive. He's a seeker. He is a seeker. yeah. Yeah. And my mom is like fun. She just, she's excited to eat something fun, watch something fun, do something fun. You could probably say to my mom, like, let's get in the car, start driving and just see where we end up. And she might say yes. I think I told you I did a little bit of homework on you. I didn't just come to this interview cold. And I found a sweet video that you and your brother had done with Andrew Bevan, who's Mm -hmm. such a sweetheart from Teen Vogue. And it was, how well do you and Jack know each other? Mm -hmm. And you had to answer questions in advance. (laughs) And one of them was your biggest fear. And yours was losing your brother. Mm -hmm. His was germs. Yes, that's right. I remember that. (laughs) I think I actually still have that paper because it's, they're really funny side by side. And I had to laugh so hard. I'm one of five siblings Mm -hmm. and I'm with you. I'm the oldest and Mm -hmm. I think I share your fear. I just thought that was a really sweet moment and it made it obvious how close all of you are. Yeah, we are really close. Sometimes for worse, mostly for better, I think. (laughs) All right, let's talk about the next collection. We talked about the oh, yeah. lookbook. There is some food yes. in the next collection. There is some food. So our next, we have fall coming out soon, which has a lot of food. And then, we, you know, for fall, we have a banana split sweater. Which is so cute. Thank you. Is it in Tarja? It is in Tarja. Yes, <laughs> look at you. I'm going to work that word into <laughs> as many sentences You're as possible, Rachel. Um, what else do we have? It's funny because we're always working in the past and the future and so rarely in the present. So it's like, we're designing spring 22 right now, but we're producing pre-spring 21. It's like... There's so many fashion seasons. I know. It's too much. It's really confusing. Yeah. Um, and then the season that's actually coming out in any given moment, which right now is fall, that's sort of the thing that we already did the work on. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. You have to sort of reacquaint yourself with it. But yeah, lots of food stuff coming yeah. out. Tell me about the Ally Coalition. Mm. So this is something that you started a few years ago with your brother. Yeah, we started it um, back when my brother was in a, a different band. That band and I started this organization. And yeah, basically we we raise money for shelters. Mm-hmm. Tell us what kind of shelters. Uh, shelters for homeless youth, mm-hmm. which is a disproportionately large part of homeless youth. And... You know, we just, we kind of, it started with a little bit of a a vague, you know, we wanted to inspire people to help. And then we realized, no, let's put our money where our mouth is. So now we just say, we raise the money and then we know, like, we got this shelter a fridge and we got them five more beds. And so that's, yeah, that's what we do. And once a year we have um, a big, what we call the talent show, which is our main fundraising event of the year. When does that happen? December. Oh, December. Yeah, so we're planning. Can look forward to it. Yes. Can people buy tickets to it? Not yet. Okay. And hopefully it'll be in person this year. Okay. Last year was, you know, via Twitch. Yes. Got Twitch. it. And why is this a cause important to you? Honestly, there's no, um, there's no root feeling of why. Mm-hmm. There's no um, personal experience exactly. It's just an inequality that we felt very aware of and thought, well, we can, we can do a little something. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's still summertime. When mm-hmm. people hear the show, it'll still be summertime. Yes. Are you taking a vacation? I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm still sort of tentatively navigating the um, COVID landscape. 
I, my parents have a house um, on the Jersey Shore. And so I try to go up there a lot. I love the Jersey Shore. Long Beach Island. Oh, I love LBI. Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's the best part of New Jersey. We grew up going there and Mm -hmm. it's actually where I spent most of the pandemic. And it just like, it means so much to us. So I'll go there, but I'm not planning anything at the moment. Geographically, such an interesting little slice of land. Oh, very. You could be standing on one side and see the Mm -hmm. water on both sides. It's so interesting. Yes, it's really beautiful. And it's also just politically become very interesting. Um, we've been going there since we were very little and it wasn't until the past few years that we realized, oh, wow, we, we, there are some gaps in opinion and, uh, feelings between our neighbors and ourselves. And we've had a lot of really interesting, somewhat tense Hmm. conversations over the past few years. I'll throw out a, uh, divisive question. Sure. Saltwater taffy? Yes or no? (laughs) Hmm. Conceptually, Yes. Taste in my mouth wise, not as much. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been able to understand saltwater taffy. It doesn't like, it doesn't taste good. And I think, you know, the way your body must sort of be scientifically built to recognize things that are food and that aren't. My body doesn't recognize (laughs) taffy or um, I'm probably not allowed to say these either, but like Subway sandwiches. (laughs) My body is like, that's not food. Don't swallow. Just don't do it. So we won't be seeing saltwater taffy on any Rachel Antonoff? I mean, maybe the initial taste is kind of nice, but I think it's more of the texture. I'm just like, oh, it's silly putty. It's a conundrum. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do a speed round okay. and then let Fun. you out of here. You bake. I've seen yes. some things on your Instagram. I do bake. Yeah. What is your most used kitchen tool? My KitchenAid mixer. It's great. Treasured cookbook. Mm. Um, treasured cookbook. Sorry to be basic, do you use cookbooks? but I do. Uh-huh. It's probably Julia Child's cookbook. That's okay. Yeah. It's classic. I've made that bouffe bourguignon like 30 times, maybe. Probably like 10. <laughs> do you listen to music in the kitchen? No, but only because I don't have a system set up and because I love to listen to my stories on TV when Got I'm it. baking. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll just oh, put okay. on like Sex in the City or something I don't really have to pay attention to. And they sort of keep me company. Got it. Kitchen footwear of choice. Oh, Crocs. Really? Really comfortable. Why are Crocs having a comeback? Can you explain it to me? I think because the pandemic required us to take a hard look at comfort and people weren't looking at our feet for the most part. And so I had never worn Crocs until last March, you know, two Marches ago. Because people are standing online outside Croc stores oh, really? now. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. And they have those pins now Yeah, on them. I don't, I don't really like bedazzle my Crocs, but <laughs> they are extremely comfortable. And since they're rubber, they're just like great house shoes. Okay. I'm like literally toss them in Thumbs the dishwasher. Up for the Crocs from yeah. Rachel Antonoff. You throw them in the dishwasher. Not with other items <laughs> <laughs> and not my outside Crocs. Okay. But if I feel like my indoor Crocs need okay. a little spruce... Yes, I will. Okay, it's the whole thing. Last pantry purchase. Oh, I have a bunch of high gluten flour that just arrived from King Arthur. What will you be <laughs> doing with the high gluten flour? Kala. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, it really makes a difference, the high gluten. Okay, we do have to talk to you for our baking issue, don't we? I would love okay. that. What's the oldest thing in your fridge? Hmm, I just cleaned it out yesterday. You know, there was some really old heavy cream. Dream travel destination. Mm, Italy. Anywhere in Italy. You can wear your pasta pajamas. Yeah. Those are so cute. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. If you had to be stuck on a desert island with one food celebrity, who would it be and why? Rachel Ray, because she's cozy 
And she has taught me a lot of things I know. And she's wonderful. I love it. She is a good egg. She was on the show once and I loved her. She's really great. Well, Rachel, so are you. Thank this you. This was so much fun. I already knew I loved you and now I love you even more. So thank you. Thank you for Likewise. being on the show and for all the support. I don't know if everybody knows this, but when we did the Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor cover, you graciously made those adorable sweaters for it. And folks fun. might see some Rachel Antonoff fall pieces in our next issue. So Yay. stay tuned. Thank you for letting us borrow those. Oh, anytime. Are you kidding? So all fun. right. Have a great summer, Rachel. Thank you too. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Rachel Antonoff for a fun chat. I really enjoyed that. Be sure to check out Rachel's designs at rachelantonoff.com. Thank you to Free People for supporting today's show. Don't miss the Cherry Bomb and Free People Summer Supper Club. Head to cherrybomb.com or freepeople.com to learn more. Radio Cherry Bomb is a production of Cherry Bomb Magazine. Want some more Cherry Bomb in your life? Sign up for our newsletter at cherrybomb.com. Love this episode? I hope you do. You can find Radio Cherry Bomb interviews with other stylish foodies, including Jenna Lyons and Sofia Coppola, wherever you get your podcasts. Radio Cherry Bomb is recorded at Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center in New York City. Thank you to Joseph Hazen, studio engineer of Newsstand Studios, and to our assistant producer, Jenna Sadu. Thanks for listening, everybody. You're the bomb. I'll have what she's having.